Welcome to the Star Citizen Night Bus, a quirky mixture of fact, fiction, and opinion. I'm your host, Alyssiana, from alyssianasworld.com. This week's show topics are Surface-level resource nodes. Are you for or against? Interesting facts brought to us by Star Hanger. More kerfuffle. Ben's response to community feedback on the referral program kicks up more dust. And more fan fiction, The Exterminator Part 1. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy. The night bus is exiting stasis. Please secure all personal items. Departing the station in 3, 2, 1. Surface Level Resource Nodes With planetary landings on the horizon, conversations have started within the community, speculating on the methods CIG might utilize for planet-side node harvesting. Every MMO I've played, and I've played every AAA MMO that's come to North America over the past 20 years, has used surface-level node collection. By surface-level nodes, I mean objects that appear directly on the surface of the visible terrain. Even when a node is inside a cave, it's on the surface and you can see it. There's no digging below the terrain that you're standing on. I don't have a problem when games only employ surface-level nodes. They're easy to find and access, which makes harvesting a more casual affair. Depending on the concentration of nodes needed to support the player base, however, surface nodes can clutter up the landscape if not done very well. They often require unnatural-looking zones of heavy density to support large-scale collection. While digging below the surface wouldn't bother me, I'm fine with surface only. I enjoy harvesting casually while I explore. Finding resources below the surface necessitates more intent than aimlessly meandering and picking up whatever you happen to see, or opportunistically harvesting while you're traveling. I've recently seen high concentration surface level nodes done very well. Unlike most other MMOs using surface nodes, Black Desert Online doesn't use visual cues that can be seen from a distance. You can't tell if an element is harvestable until you're right up on it. And the nodes themselves, or plants, trees, etc., look like any other part of the landscape. This results in a natural-looking environment that doesn't break your immersion that doesn't call attention to fake thing here when you're not trying to harvest. In BDO, I explore while harvesting because you have to mingle in with the environment to know if you can gather an item. I enjoy walking along the furrowed rows of a farm alongside NPCs maintaining it, looking for vegetables to harvest for cooking recipes or chopping down trees in a nearby wood while seeing if there are any quest mobs in the area or vice versa. So while I'm open to surface level only, beneath only, or a combination, I found BDO's implementation quite compelling and natural. Do you have a preference? What game have you played that you feel got it just right? Interesting Facts, brought to you by Star Hanger. Interesting Fact 1. 
The Bingo class carrier is the UEE's tip of the spear. The iconic Bengal is one of the most powerful warships available to the UEE Navy, and its imposing presence has held off raiders and the Vanduul throughout the outer colonies, allowing humanity to spread unchallenged. Interesting Fact 2 During the development of the Drake Buccaneer, it was decided that the turret mounted under the nose of the ship would need to be moved to the spine due to problems with the height of the ship as well as the landing gear placement. It will hold two Tarantula 870 ballistic guns. Interesting Fact 3 Shipbuster is one of the most powerful single-charge rail guns in known space. A hit from it is capable of smashing a destroyer as though it were a tin can. A single shipbuster forms the keel mount of the Bengal carrier, while a series of the weapons forms the fighting power of the Retribution class. For more interesting facts, check out the Star Hanger Facebook page. I'll include a link in the show notes. More kerfuffle. The referral program contest hits a sour note. If you're subscribed on alicianasworld.com, you know that in my main newsletter, I expressed my thoughts in the whole referral program contest kerfuffle. Short version is that something that was initially billed as an exciting restructuring of the program does not a one-time contest make. I was expecting a permanent enhancement to the program AK restructuring that all backers could work toward over the lifetime of their referral activity. Who thought a timed contest with a short duration was going to excite most of us was sadly mistaken. The game development is in alpha, yes, but it's time for marketing and communications to raise their game out of alpha mode. Ben Lesnick of CIG posted a reply in a thread on Spectrum that addresses some of the concerns expressed by a part of the community. Why they showed referral codes of some. Concerns about it being a timed event that most can't reach. And why the new backer push with such a harsh new player experience, among other things. Net-net is that they appreciate the feedback and are going to work on improvements specifically in the area of the new player experience, and it appears they're going to extend the contest time to allow us regular folks a chance at the lower tier items. While it's good to see a direct response and some action, it's sad that this sort of misstep happened in the first place. It's as if they don't know this community at all, or worse, they don't perceive the disconnect between what they say versus what they actually do at times. I'm sorry, but we shouldn't be having these sorts of issues at this stage of the game. Do not use marketing spin when communicating with the backer community. Save that for potential customers when the game goes live. Save that for interviews. Speak to us in plain language. This will greatly reduce the unnecessary drama that inspirational letters from Chris won't always be able to solve. So please stop using that and conciliatory messages after the fact as a crutch. Please, please, please get it together 
and consider vetting this stuff outside of the people working on it. Perhaps they're too close to it and can't see the pitfalls that other CIG staff who interact with the community might have before the cat was out of the bag. If you haven't seen Ben's response, check the show notes for a direct link. The Exterminator by Alisiana Noir, Part 1 of 2 John James, plain name, simple life, John introduced himself, followed by, or you can call me JJ, I have no preference. He reached across the bar toward Maggie and gave her hand a friendly shake. Maggie immediately warmed to his disarming smile. Was it a trick of the light, or were his eyes sparkling? On drugs, more like, she thought to herself. Shit. She might have to find someone else, but he'd come so highly recommended. She stepped from behind the bar to join him on the other side. Maggie was in her late fifties, with spiky gray hair she kept long on the top and cut short on the sides and the back. The lines on her face aged her beyond her years, but the fact that she'd been a beauty in her youth was evident. Maggie and John were standing at the bar of Maggie's Red Dragon Pub, a popular hangout on Grimhex. The public space was a large rectangular room divided into distinct quadrants. The decor was a cheap, gaudy attempt at the Asian revival theme that had been popular two or more decades ago. Circular black and white rice paper chandeliers with missing panels hung from the ceiling. Scarred wooden dragons acted as vertical beams, the blood-red paint chipped and faded. A threadbare gold and purple lotus pattern carpet graced the floor. Maggie pointed to the areas as she described them. I've got just the one room here, as you can see. Pool tables there, she pointed to the back left corner. Card tables there, back right corner pointing to the front half of the room where they were standing. Up here is all dining. John absentmindedly scratched at the three days of stubble on his chin as he listened. He didn't say anything, so Maggie shrugged and continued. Pointing to the door centered on the wall behind the bar, she said, Back there is the kitchen, my office, and restrooms. Just staff, he asked. Yeah, public restrooms, too much trouble. Kept finding empty vials, syringes, vagrants sleeping, couples fucking, you name it. John laughed. He could imagine that and worse. Hex customers aren't known for their manners, he said. Couple of drug busts in the men's room, last of it for me, walled it off from this side, renting it out as a commercial stall on the other. Got a young kid doing tats in that space. Name's Ronnie. Seems like a good kid. Pays on time. Customers welcome to eat, drink, and party here. Take care of their other needs elsewhere. I've walked through some of those elsewheres, he joked. No entrance on this side to the tat place? Nah, registered as a separate location. This work is only for here. Okay, cool. So, it's really just the one room. Kitchen looks secure, he said, pointing to the hand scanner on the door. That glass opening bulletproof? 
Yep, had that installed last year. So, this the kind of job you take? I know your bounty, but was told you take freelance stuff too. You came highly recommended, just wasn't sure this was your kind of thing. As was his custom, John diligently tapped notes into his Moby glass. He preferred the palm-sized translucent version. It fit easily into any pocket, pants, or jacket. He especially liked that if necessary, the display could be enlarged into an interactive holographic image. Noticing that Maggie had stopped talking, he looked up. His smile was genuine and raised his cherub-like cheeks high on his face. Dark curly hair rested on his forehead, just above a bushy unibrow that arched gently over gray eyes. I do most any security work on contract if I can fit it in comfortably. If I can't, I'll refer you to someone, he said, continuing to tap in notes. No point stressing to squeeze it in. Looking up, he said, or stressing you if I can't get here when needed. His face back on his Moby. I like to keep it simple. Works best that way. Maggie nodded her head, still uncertain if that meant he was taking the job or not. Okay. John James, plain name, simple life is my motto. Uh, sure, was all Maggie could think to say. He closed the Moby and gave Maggie his full attention. Looks like I can fit you in. Friday and Saturday from 10 p.m. until close, which is 2 a.m. Right. He walked away from Maggie to survey the space for himself. I'd like to install security cameras in each section. Maggie walked toward the card tables where John had wandered over to. How much does that cost? He chuckled. My expense, if we can agree, I can take emergency calls when the place is quiet. He saw her eyebrows arch and smiled. Only local emergencies. I discount for the time I'm out. He sauntered back to the front and leaned on the bar. Cameras are my eyes and ears. Also solid evidence if you insist on pressing charges. I prefer to work things out in other ways, but here you're the boss. Concern in her voice, she asked, You expect that to happen often? Being away during my shift? Never know. Just a precaution. This is side work for me. Filler. Routing pirates and vagrants are my main meal ticket. I'm a senior security and bounty contractor for Hurston, Crusader, and Art Corp. I get first dibs around here, so that's my priority. If I don't take a gig, I lose it and eventually get bumped down the ladder for new work. His tone was light, his voice even. Maggie came to stand beside him. I don't know, I had trouble a few days ago, which is why I started asking around. She wrung her hands. It got pretty intense. I need those hours covered. Place is getting rowdy. Station's been seeing more traffic lately. Some looking for work or to shop, others for trouble. John reached out and took one of Maggie's hands in his. He patted it like they were old friends. I hear ya. Totally understand. Humming quietly to himself, he flipped open his Moby. Let me shoot you a couple names. Either one of these will do just as well. He returned to humming while he scrolled through his contacts. 
Neither are A-level because they'll have the same problem as me. Local cop work comes first. His head bobbed slightly to the tune that only he could hear. Oh, I hadn't realized. I just asked around about who's best. That'd be me, he said absentmindedly. Here you go, try. Maggie cut him off. Several said you're the best and actually a good guy. Everyone said that. Good guy. I try, Maggie, dear. I do try. I keep it simple. Live right, it'll be all right. That's my motto. Well, if you think it'll work, she still hesitated. I'm up for giving it a try. He looked up again and graced her with the full force of his penetrating gaze and smiled. Trust me, it'll be fine. Wouldn't steal you wrong. Do no harm is my motto. Maggie caught her breath. Well, damn, she thought to herself. His eyes actually do sparkle. To him, she said, send the contract and I'll authorize it. John pointed his Moby at Maggie and swiped his finger from it to her. There you go. Oh, sorry. Don't have a mobile one. We'll pick it off the one in the office. No worries. Can you start this week? He extended his hand and Maggie accepted it. Sure can. We'll install the cameras on my first shift. She hoped she wasn't blushing. He was too young for her. He wasn't even particularly handsome. But there's something about him, she decided inwardly. Pleasure doing business with you, Mags. Off to do my rounds. John slid his hands into his jacket pockets and sauntered toward the exit. Over his shoulder, he added, Don't hesitate if something comes up before then. You're one of John's now. I'll come as quick as I can. Maggie patted the sides of her hair and wiped gently at the edges of her eyes as if that could erase the heavy crow's feet nesting there. Okay, sure. Thanks. Her voice cracked on the last and John gave her a knowing smile. She turned away, her cheeks flaming. Now for the main event, John said to himself. He checked the work queue on his Moby to verify that the happy cube eviction request he'd received earlier was still active. It was. Maggie's pub was at the back of Hex D, one of the cleanest struts on the space station. A work request in Hex A, the worst. The quickest way there would be through the tunnels. The tunnels, as they were called by the locals, are a network of secured maintenance routes burrowed into the giant asteroid turned mining station housing exchange, now a self-governing powder keg. A handful of legit merchants had stayed after the Imperial Green mining operation pulled out. Having invested their life savings in establishing businesses here, they couldn't afford to pack up and run when the mines dried up and the criminal element began infiltrating the station, trying to secure a foothold in Stanton. Industrious opportunists stayed too. They'd squatted in available spaces, installed personal generators, and opened for business. Imperial retained control of the self-service habit cubes and continued to collect the revenue. But everything else on the station was an as-is situation. No maintenance, no repairs. 
When things stopped working on Grimhex, they stopped working forever. John whistled as he made his way to the closest maintenance tunnel. He unlocked the massive vault-like door with his access code. As the door retracted, he ducked his six-foot-four stocky frame through the opening. It was pitch black on the inside. He pulled out the flashlight he kept clipped to his belt. With no maintenance crews on the station, lighting in the tunnel was spotty. A good distance ahead, he could see a pinprick of yellow light flickering. He panned his flashlight around and forward to get his bearings. The jagged walls of the tunnel glistened with sweat. Rusted pipes overhead led the way forward. They hissed angry pockets of steam from cracked wounds. John started walking, his boots echoing his every footstep. Although it would be at a reduced payout, John hoped the occupants had voluntarily vacated by now. The request was two hours old. He'd get his 25% fee for swiping in at the location as evidence he checked it out. It would be easier on everyone if they were gone by now. He was getting hungry besides. Persuading vagrants to depart on their own was his preferred solution. Convincing would-be pirates to vacate the area with words or by force better than disabling, capturing, and hauling them planetside for processing. Every day flying free above the rock is a good day, was his motto. Seasonal supplies and the mandatory annual physical required by his contract were the only times John went planetside. He hated the crowds at the medical clinic. He fidgeted waiting in lines at the surplus warehouse where he bought non-perishable food supplies. He grunted trying to maneuver around other customers, picking through clothing haphazardly tossed into final sale bins. But the streets were the worst, especially on Art Corp. The teeming throngs of yakkers brushing by and bumping into him at every turn. It made his skin crawl to be scurrying among them on the anthill. John was almost at the other end now. He could see the door clearly from here. He pulled his Gemini L86 from the back waistband of his pocket and checked the magazine. It was full. He reached down and grabbed a fresh magazine from the bottom right pocket of his cargo pants. He put away the flashlight. Just before stepping through the exit, he slid the pistol into his right jacket pocket and the fresh mag into his left. He emerged from the tunnel and waited until the door locked behind him. Strut A was quiet, fewer people than normal around. He wondered why, but kept it moving. He nodded to a group of guys decked out in grunge gear, hunched around a fist-sized glass vial full of red smoke. Red Alice, he mused to himself, a popular psychotropic drug that caused temporary paralysis when overdosed. Just beyond the group of men was the metal-graded staircase to the next level. John took the steps two at a time, then turned left into Strut A's shantytown. A dead end of the lowest-rate habicubes fronted by first-come, first-served cardboard sleeping spots and perfumed in eau de urine. With no merchants on this side, there was no one to complain or pay for security to keep the place civil. The cube he was looking for was second to last on the left. As he approached, he saw a bloody trail leading to the door. 
Drops of blood on the gray slab floor like breadcrumbs led the way. A bloody palm smeared on the door frame. He eased his pistol out of his pocket and moved into the shadows along the opposite wall. To be continued. That wraps up another episode of The Night Bus. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please consider subscribing to my channel and giving this episode a thumbs up. For more of my Star Citizen coverage, visit alicianasworld.com, where you'll also find Ali's Star Map Matrix, a mobile-friendly, easier-to-read version of the official ARC Star Map data. While you're there, be sure to register on Ali's World for an exclusive monthly newsletter. You can also support my videos and Alyssiana's World through my Patreon and receive exclusive articles, more fan fiction, narrations, monthly extracts of Ali's Star Map Matrix and more. A big thank you to my current subscribers. Your sponsorship is greatly appreciated. If you haven't created an account yet, on robertspaceindustries.com, you can earn 5k in-game currency when the game goes live by using my referral code. I'll also earn some in-game goodies. You can find my referral code in the show notes. This is Alyssiana signing off until next time. Be kind and fly safe. The night bus has arrived. Please watch your step while departing. Re-entering stasis in 3, 2, 1.